Thanks for tuning in to Inspiring Women. I am so excited to be kicking off this WBL series where I am speaking to members and we're starting with Ulya Khan. When she joined WBL, she felt like she found her tribe other senior level executive women just like her, 25 years in the C-suite. And Ulya is going to talk to us about how she got there. And it certainly wasn't by playing it safe. She's also going to give a number of pieces of pieces of advice of, from her career journey. But importantly, she also is going to talk about investment advice for women who are seeking investments for their companies. And number one lesson, don't undersell it. So again, thanks for tuning in to Inspiring Women and this important WBL series. Please do subscribe to hear more stories like this every week. But now let's hear from Ulya. This is Inspiring Women. I'm Laurie McGraw, and we're at the WBL Summit, and we're talking to a number of the prominent executive leaders who are here at the summit. And I'm here with Ulia Khan, and she is the operating partner today. She's the operating partner of the healthcare division of Virgo Investment, um, which is a PE firm, but she's got decades of actually being a senior executive, CEO, head of product, SVP of that, chief operating officer of another. She's an investor, she's a board member, and she's a WBL member. And Ulya, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Well, let's, um, why don't we start with, why don't we start a little bit about you? So why don't you give us sort of like the bio sketch? I mean, you've done a lot of things and <laughs> you it's, it's, not, it's not that long. I mean, it's 25 years. It's not even that long in all these companies you've run. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, thank you. So my, my story just started as a, actually quite an abnormal one in, in those days, because we're talking about like late 80s. Um, I graduated with a computer science degree, um, did an MBA, but decided to pursue software engineering. And in those days, there were like women just did not do yeah. software engineering. So in my class of 80, there were three women. Um, when I went into the workplace, every time I would answer a colleague's phone, people would assume I was the assistant. Um, and then even when I became the boss lady, <laughs> that, that assumption continues. So it's, it's been an interesting journey, but very quickly, um, I basically moved into the management side of things. So product management, program management, operations, and then started really, you know, having this realization that I really enjoy the business side of the thing. So it's, it's, but on the flip side, it's really good to have a handle on all things technology and data related. Little did I know at the time how important that would become in my own career journey throughout. Mm -hmm. um, the other interesting thing is, I mean, I don't know if it's my face or my personality, but whether it's clients or male colleagues, if people don't know my background, they assume I'm sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. So, which is a, is a different story for another day. Um, but that really, you know, and it got to 2020, 10, I was still at Thomson Reuters doing, you know, C-suite roles for multiple uh, divisions, you know, 600 million in revenue, 500 million in revenue. Um, and it just got to a point where I wasn't having fun anymore. You know, financial services has been sort of retrenching. It's shrouded in a scandal and um, all kinds of, you know, regulations, dot Frank and so on and so forth. So I don't know, something in me clicked and I had been experiencing, I guess, moving to the US from United Kingdom, a single payer market. Mm -hmm. I very early on realized how broken the healthcare system was in the US. But of course, I had no healthcare background. And in 2010, it got to a point I wasn't enjoying what I was doing mm -hmm. at Thomson Reuters. 
I was looking at the next chapter of my life and what I wanted to do. And I really had this strong desire to somehow marry up doing business and doing good. Mm -hmm. Now, having experienced healthcare in the US as a consumer and realizing how broken it was, I just kept coming back to, I think I need to do healthcare next. Mm -hmm. And so very quickly, you know, I had to create my path into healthcare I had a bunch of coaches and mentors. And when I started consulting them about finding a C-suite role within healthcare, they all laughed at me. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, come on, Ulia, you have no healthcare background. You have, you know, nothing. What do you bring to the table to a healthcare company? Why the hell do you think somebody will give you a C-suite role? And my you know, again, my point was, I okay, if they're this is what they're telling me, I need to go and find different advisors and different coaches and mentors because because my um my firm belief was that I've got to shoot for the for the moon and for the sun to land on a star. Mm-hmm. If I shoot on a, for a star, I'll stay on Mother Earth, right? So I literally wanted to have these lofty goals and and then share my goals with people. Um, well, lo and behold, I was helping a a startup. And met somebody on the board of that startup who came from healthcare, looked at my background and said, oh, wow, you've got so many transferable skills. Let me just put you in touch with a couple of board members. And the first healthcare company board member I spoke to resulted in a a job offer. That is amazing. As a chief operating officer. So have not looked back. And um, yeah, so then I did Aptus Health, Chief Operating Officer. I did Tivity Health, Chief Operating and Product Officer. So many sort of um, like chiefs. And so, you know, Ulia, one of the things that is just interesting, so it's a couple things. I mean, one, being told no, but being determined correct. and going after it anyway is, you know, um, it's unusual for women. That's, that's, mm-hmm. so that is often not um, how uh, women approach you know, the next large barrier with just a mindset yeah, of breaking. They go through. back into that little hole. Right. Yeah. So that you found new advisors to help you do that is, I just think, I think that's a lesson to be learned um, in that. But you started in the C-suite early. So you made a leap into senior management at the very earlier stages of your career. How did that happen? What was your secret sauce that allowed you to? You know, again, so one thing that I have learned in life again and again is do not play it safe. Mm -hmm. So very early on, so I moved here from England where I had a, you know, again, Reuters, Thomson Reuters, a very cushy job. I moved to the U.S. Cushy I, job. Yeah, I, I don't believe job. listeners. I don't believe this. I'm just, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Yeah, I never go for cushy jobs. It's a stable job. Yeah. I took a 18 month sabbatical. Went back to the New York office. Um, took on a, a role, and uh, that the first thing that we had to do in that role was, you know, do a. We were doing a deal with Merrill Lynch, and I was in charge of pricing out and managing the the telecoms piece in that deal. Mm-hmm. Well, the vendor who was supposed to give me the pricing never gave me the pricing. Um, the 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 bid was due. Again, we are against a deadline. If we don't submit our bid, we don't get the contract. So what do I do? I made up the numbers. <laughs> I make up the numbers, submit the bid on time. <laughs> intention, intention guess. I mean, okay. it's not like I... I didn't do, I didn't do this. Okay. I had an idea on how much bandwidth cost in Europe and yeah. what are the bandwidth costs in America and in Asia. Yes. Just, you know, from my prior roles. Yes. And I just took some benchmarks and and then did, you know, plus minus 20% here or there. Um, I submitted the bid and then my bosses found out that they were like, oh, oh you never got the number. So w- w- what did you put in the bid? <laughs> and I'm like, I made them up. 
<laughs> and they blew a casket, suddenly called the vendor. The vendor is in the room. I'm in the room, sinking in my seat, thinking, okay, I'm going to be fired very soon here. Um, and the vendor is looking at my pricing sheet and looking at me and looking at the sheet. And they said, I was bang in the middle of their estimates. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they couldn't believe like how, and my boss was, really? You had no, you just did that. You know, so <laughs> I think that was just, I took a risk. I was against a deadline and that paid off. Yep. And then from that point onwards, I walked on water in that company. Wow. Then the next thing happened, a new division got created. They brought in a French guy from Microsoft to head yep. up that, you know, somebody different, somebody, you know, was, was very French, very stubborn, short, reminded me of Napoleon. <laughs> um, but you know, but wanted to do good things and wanted to move the company forward. And people were scared of him. Um, I applied for a job. He would not interview me because he advertised on the internal intranet to follow process, but had no intention of hiring anybody. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Well, I called him out. I said, if you're following process to, to follow process, then you have to either tell me why I'm not qualified or mm -hmm. you have to interview me. Yeah. So grudgingly, he agreed to interview me for this position. And he was sitting like that, legs crossed, arms crossed. I thanked him for the interview. And he said, this is not an interview. This is a meeting that you requested. <laughs> and so anyway, I started talking about my experience. And very soon, his body language had eased up. He started sort of like doing this. I'm like, okay, that can't be bad. Yeah. And by the time I finished, he basically said, wow, not only do you have the depth, but you also have the breadth of experience I'm looking for. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you were pushy yes. and forced me to do this. And I got that job. And then he just kept giving me more and more responsibility. And I never looked back. Well, that is, um, so we were listening to a speaker this morning about sort of not taking no as your answer. And you are living proof that that really does work. I also like that you owned up to the, I made up the numbers. And they just like <laughs> happened to be educated enough that they were um, valuable to your country. My guess be so good. Yeah. And yeah. they were like, you know, her guess is, is so good. Well, guess what else she might be able to so do? So many great things. So Uya, did, let's talk about WBL. We're here at this conference yes. together. This is a signature event um, held every year. We're in beautiful Amelia Island. Um, what's your WBL story? How long have you been a member? Why did you join? So my WBL story is, is interesting. I'd never heard of this organization. Mm -hmm. In 2016, I joined Tivity Health as their chief operating and product officer. And Tivity Health is a, is a diamond sponsor of WBL. And I had had like mixed experience about these, you know, conferences and these organizations, networking organizations. So I wasn't going to rush into anything. Well, I was told that we are diamond sponsors. I'm it. I'm carrying the, the torch <laughs> for my organization. And I better show up to this WBL conference, which was in early 2017. And I'm like, oh, gee, okay, well, I guess I better clear my calendar and go and see what the fuss is all about. I turned up very skeptical. And as I sort of experienced the three days, I was like, oh my God, this is the best kept secret. I really, at the end of the three days, I actually felt I had found my tribe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, these and we women, so, so the problem with other networking organizations was that it was women at all levels and it takes time to find the right people, the right level. And I really found at WBL that almost every other person I spoke to was at that right level. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it just literally was the sense of belonging and finding my tribe. So from being a skeptic, turning around 2017, I have not missed a single conference since. Mm-hmm. I left Tivity Health in 2018, but WBL stayed with me. Mm-hmm. Well, that is, um, that's a great story. So now you're on the investing side. You're in a private Correct. equity firm, you know, managing as a $2 billion Correct. of um, funding since the firm started about 10 years ago. And one of the key issues, of course, on executive teams and C-suites as well as boards is there's not enough women at the table. So how um, how does sort of your experience with WBL impact how you approach your investing work that you're doing? So, so the WBL experience with the female C-suite has been... Uh, it has been instrumental in many ways, including, so once I got a little bit of time on my hands, in addition to doing Virgo Investment Group, I also wanted to do something to give, do something more to give back to women. So I became a founding member of Golden Seeds Arizona chapter. The thing is the Golden Seeds is a network of 300 plus angel investors with a single focus of supporting female entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So these are businesses that are either owned or run by, by females, um, or a female has at least 8% equity in the business. So mm-hmm. that's one area that you know I'm very focused on in addition to what I do with Virgo. Please tell me that the, organization is growing. Please tell me uh, if it's the, growing. The in- Golden Seeds? Yes. Absolutely. Awesome. I mean, it's, and it's not just a cost. So people think, oh, it's 300 angel women investors. No, it's a lot of men, family offices, mm-hmm. because they understand that you know, your money is safer with women, yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> and yet women only get 2.4% of investment dollars, which in this day and age is really embarrassing. Yeah. And, and that number hasn't changed much in 10 no, years. No. It's really kind and of incredible. So the other thing we do is when we invest in a, in a company through Golden Seeds, we make sure that the board seat, whether it's a board observer or a, a board member, the seat is occupied by a female member with uh, relevant experience. Oh, that's wonderful. The other thing, even at Virgo, I'm actually challenging the Virgo people to actually, in their deal sourcing, um, you know, bucket, have more companies to review with female CEOs. Mm-hmm. Um, the companies that we invest in, I'm actually challenging Virgo to clean out the board and make room for one new female board member on each of the different boards that that form the Virgo portfolio. How is that being received? Because, you know, we when I speak with women CEOs and founders who are getting started with their companies, they, um, you know, often that funding issue, there really is a confidence thing. And not that these women don't know their stuff because they do, but they're usually not seeing a woman across the table as the funder. I mean, that's just, again, these are, de- these are, uh, you know, demographic issues, but when they do, there's, a, there is a level of comfort. So given that it's all networking and, and, you know, it's a different world than perhaps executive recruiting for companies, how, how receptive are your team members at Virgo to what you're trying to do there? So the team members are receptive. The problem is finding the right kind of profile mm-hmm. to fit in that board seat. Mm-hmm. But having said that, the other realization that sort of keeps hitting home again and again is the way women come across when they are presenting to investors, mm-hmm. right? And we often end up giving this feedback to our female entrepreneurs that they, you know, they really undersell themselves. They want to under-promise, over-deliver which when you're trying to raise money, it doesn't fly very well. Investors don't want to hear that from 500,000, you will hit 2 million next year and then 5 million the year after. 
they you know that that doesn't that doesn't excite anybody yeah a man would come and he would say that hey we are at 500000 uh, next year i'm going to be at 20 and the year after that i'm going to be at 110 mm-hmm. and yet you know i mean <laughs> totally made up numbers but they have loftier goals mm-hmm. then the thing is okay how do you get there right is it is it organic is it other plans but so the so women we really have to coach women to be more aggressive and think bigger mm-hmm. and ask the bigger questions. So not conservative in the storytelling of Correct. what you're trying trying Correct. to do. That that's actually a really important comment, I think. And just you know, again, when um, you know, Uli, you know better than anybody, but you know, it it is statistically not statistically, but there are many studies showing that female CEOs and founders they're more conservative mm-hmm. with the cash that they're mm-hmm. being given, which is wonderful from an investment standpoint, particularly in um, this environment, but that being aggressive with the storytelling, that is what captures the imagination of investors, I believe. Correct. Correct. And they, you know, so, so if you, if you have like a conservative estimate, a realistic, and then, you know, a, a more optimistic, they will go more between the conservative and the optimistic. A pessimistic, yeah, right, somewhere there, not even above conservative up to you now. Know, as I mean, just you know, putting back on your executive hat when you were leading companies, not just investing in companies. Did you learn that lesson? Were you or were you good so at that? If one thing you've realized, my stories is I'm a risk taker, right? <laughs> a lot of women played safe. I am a risk taker. So just as well, I'm not into trading because <laughs> I would have been gone past. Um, but you know, women, most women, unfortunately, are not risk takers. And one of the things that, you know, I also realized in my corporate career is that women, you know, great women, wonderful women, hardworking women, um, they never ask for anything. You know, they feel that if they keep their head down, um, a fairy will come and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, well done, you, <laughs> small money, it's a bigger title. Well, yeah doesn't happen that way. Yes. Some male colleague will come and take credit for the work that you have done <laughs> and they will be rewarded for it and you will just figure out what happened. Yeah. And and so I actually developed a program called personal development planning um, initially for females, but had to expand it to cover the whole gambit. Um, and it was all about how to think about your career, right? Mm-hmm. Very early on, you need to start planning your path out. What is, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years, 20 years? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to get there? And I think the earlier we think about those things as women, Mm -hmm. you know, how much, and and I I get into very specific things when you're thinking about your future self, Mm -hmm. you know, how much am I earning? Mm -hmm. What is my job title? Mm -hmm. How many people reporting to me? Mm -hmm. What is the size of the company that I, you know, so, so the more. I I think that's also really important. Again, another, another thing that, you know, just speaking with lots of women, very, very, very um, uh, aspiring young women, they're not wanting to talk about money. They want Mm -hmm. the money, but they don't think or know how to talk about that. How did you learn how to do that? It seems like you were just born that way, but, uh, but I mean, you know, so I, so I started trying to find um, aspiring women and uh, women leaders who I admired only to realize very quickly that the women I admire the higher up the corporate ladder they go, they become more like men. Mm -hmm. They start acting and behaving more like men. And well, what does that really mean? Right? They're asking for things. They're behaving a certain way. They are demonstrating certain much more traits that are much more associated with men than women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, And to be honest, I'm like, aha, 
So that's what happens to be able to successfully need to emulate and do more things, you know, just go after things, mm -hmm. ask for things, because men are not afraid of asking for things. They are not afraid of women, I think, are afraid to ask because what if they say no? Mm -hmm. Men are not afraid of the no answer because, you know, most men have this salesman mentality that a no just means not now. Right. 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 They literally just swap no to not now and they will go and ask again and ask again. Yeah. Women just, if you say no, they're just going to go back into their hole and then just put their head down and say, maybe I didn't work out enough. Let me just do, you know. Well, I think that, you know, that personal development plan with long range goals, money, power, Correct. those kind of things and using those words, which might not feel comfortable mm -hmm. um, is really important because if you can envision it, then you can certainly sort of see yourself on that path. And we also heard from a speaker this morning that, you know, taking, taking no as a strategic, what do mm -hmm. I do with this more? It's more not now exactly. as opposed to there's something wrong with you. Exactly. But then the other thing that I realized is that, you know, once you, once you have that path identified for yourself, who are the players, who are the people you need to recruit in yes. your advisory committee or mm -hmm. board who will help you get there? So then thinking strategically about, you know, what are the kind of mentors I need to recruit? Who are my advisors? Who will be my sponsors in every organization, making sure that you know who's sponsoring you, who will have your back and just becoming much more aware of the impact and importance of those players in your career trajectory. Yep. Uh, without that, it's not, you know, you can have the best laid plan, but it's not going to go anywhere. Then the third element is actually, once you have the plan, also sharing it with people. Mm -hmm. The more you talk about it, the more it will come to life. And you will find that typically we find that, you know, your, your next job comes not from your first level contact, but your second level or third level contact. Mm -hmm. So just the more you talk about what you want to do, um, the higher the probability of it happening. Yep. Well, Uya, this has been a great conversation and I really appreciate um, hearing from you. You know, it kind of sounds like you've got it all figured out. You have like, you know, the clear plans, you've had all the success that you've had. You're a very important member of this WBL community. Um, as we close out on inspiring women, I just love, you know, some, some advice maybe that you received early on in your career that helped you become the leader, the executive, the investor that you are today. So, you know, the best advice that I received, um, and it, at that time I was really trying to figure out what does it really mean? Um, and it's, really common sense at the end of the day it's just you know remain authentic mm -hmm. just don't as you go through this journey just don't try and become somebody else you have to be authentic you have to be yourself because you know become the best yourself but don't try to be somebody else because mm -hmm. then that shows through and then you lose yourself in that process so I think that really has been the best advice so I you know I dress a certain way I talk a certain way um, one of my bosses actually got me a coach to help me get rid of some accents I had. <laughs> like, that's my authentic self. That's what. <laughs> So uh, yeah, just be your authentic self. I think. That's... Well, there's nothing about what you're saying that makes me think you're a sales and marketing person. <laughs> I see nothing but presence and executive presence Thank at you. that. Ulya, this has been a great inspiring women conversation. I've been speaking with Ulya Khan and Ulya, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.